Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 121 of the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. Uh, my name is John. Joining me today is my co-host, Curtis. Hello. And joining us today, we have a special guest um, <laughs> hailing from, sorry, where are you from again? Uh, Cologne, Cologne, Germany. Yep. Cologne, Germany. So we have uh, Barack joining us. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Nice to Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to this. Heidi, Heidi. Heidi, Heidi. So uh, today it's a lovely March 3rd. Um, today we're back on our Ridley Scott watch series. Um, you know, we've now transitioned throughout his career. I mean, Ridley's had a long career. We started, what, 1976, 77. Now we're in 2012 and we're talking uh, certainly one of his more successful and known films over the last, I'd say, 10, 15 years of his career. And that's Prometheus, which is his uh, prequel to Alien. His return is long-awaited return back to the Alien franchise, of course, after the release of 1979 Alien, a film that was uh, became a huge uh, critical and commercial success, a massive sci-fi horror film that still to this day is regarded as one of the best um, films of that genre. Of course, probably over the last more over the last years between those times, more people have known Alien for James Cameron's efforts under Aliens, which brought in the kind of more militant space marine angle. And, um, you know, subsequent to that, we've had additional movies. There's been the whole Alien versus Predator. They, they just, annou they just announced the movies. Alien Romulus, too, I think. Right. So that's. Yep. Still going. <laughs> yeah, and even Ridley did a sequel to this movie as well, too, which we'll get to in a, probably a few episodes from now as well, uh, Alien Covenant. But uh, yeah, this was his return back to the series as a prequel. So it kind of explains, okay, when the original Alien, when they get to that ship, when they land on LV-223, um, you see the space jockey, you see all this stuff. It's sort of like, well, what happened? How did we get here? And this film kind of plants the seeds to sort of explain a little bit of that um, and a little bit of the, I guess, giving a little bit of insight into the Weyland-Yutani um uh, a little bit of background there too as well um so the we'll we'll get into this more as we get into the movie but just to start it off the the idea of prometheus the story follows these two archaeologists who discover these these alien these these sort of um different uh, artworks and and things all throughout the the geography of the earth it's in scotland there's um evidence in greece and egypt and all sorts of areas of the world where we see um, you know, cave drawings or 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 stuff of that ilk of these seemingly tall, benevolent aliens showing the same kind of star symbols in the sky. And this leads to this um, um, interpret crew on the Prometheus ship uh, heading into space to try to find um, the supposed location of where these uh, aliens could be. And the assumption is these aliens might actually be the aliens who created humanity. So We'll, we'll get into that when we get to the story a bit more. But uh, I guess uh, before before we do, we could kick off our our, our news of the week. I got to be honest, I don't have much news this week. I, I didn't uh, I wasn't following uh, events too closely. I know there's been uh, some buzz around, you know, Oscars coming up, but otherwise not not too much. But I see you did mention, Curtis. Yeah. Um, new important. John Waters film announced. Uh, Starring Audrey Plaza. Plaza. Yeah. We yeah, don't really know much about it. A, <laughs> it's based off a book he wrote, I think, recently. Wiremouth, yeah. Yeah, I've I've never I've never read it myself. Well, it's first but, movie uh, in twenty years, so I did pretty a lot of hype, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I actually saw a Dirty Shame on TV. It would have been probably late at night when uh, you know my parents had gone to bed, and I think that might have actually been my first John Waters movie. I was watching a Dirty Shame on like <laughs> the MXS channel at like two a.m. by myself, 
because um, it was like rated that's interesting like, too because he, he doesn't usually get a lot of like mainstream time like i think just pecker is the only one that really gets a lot of time on the mainstream but yeah TV, well but you don't john see pink flamingos that much on tv well it's funny because i think john waters you know his career kind of went a bit you know kind of ended a bit on the fizzle like with dirty shame wasn't a at all a success it was pretty like panned most of his you know mid to late 90s through the 2000s i think like a lot of um, as he kind of moved away from his Dreamlanders and some of the crew that worked on his earlier films towards more kind of conventional Hollywood stuff, um, you know, his films, I think they kind of dipped in quality a bit. Mm. Uh, but I feel like over the years, he's been kind of reclaimed. I mean, he's, he's a celebrity in his own right. He's sort of an he's icon. Got that, if you... He's got that great quote, too, that I always see as memes. It's like if you go to someone's house and they have, don't have any good books on their shelves, don't fuck them. <laughs> I think yeah, that's a great I quote. <laughs> I think John Waters now, a lot of people probably know him who have never seen his movies. I'd be willing to wager. Like, I, I know people who would recognize him but have not seen most of his films. Uh, so, yeah, kind of cool this is coming out. I kind of suspect this will probably do fairly well. Um, starring Aubrey Plaza as well, too. She's been in some really good independent films. I feel like she's been on a yeah. run recently where her independence Emily the Criminal. Really I, have you seen And Emily of course, the White Lotus. Yeah. I haven't seen it, no, but it's she so was also good. very good on, on White Lotus season two. So she's she's had some really great uh, turns recently. Burak, you'd, um, love, you'd love Emily the Criminal. You should definitely watch it. It's really good. Yeah, yeah it's great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Audrey, especially if you like Audrey Plaza. If you don't, you, know, you will love her after this movie. <laughs> but... <laughs> okay. uh, we also have some... Uh, we also have some recent uh, movie releases as well, too. Uh, mm -hmm. One of them is Red Right Hand. Uh, what, what's that movie, Curtis? Yeah, it's kind of like a Southern, a gritty Southern thriller. It's with uh, Orlando Bloom, and he looks pretty rough. And <laughs> I think you said he looked like Michael Shannon a little bit in it, too. And I don't really know what the plot is about, but it just came out, I think. It's been getting okay reviews, so I mean, I'll probably watch it. I think there's probably some robbery or something. And uh, Cash is trying to live a quiet, honest life in a small Appalachian town. When a vicious crime boss forces him back into her services, he soon learns he's capable of anything, even killing, to protect his family and his home. So, sounds a bit generic, but I think Andy McDowell plays the crime boss. That's kind of interesting. So maybe it'll be fun to watch. I'll probably watch tonight. <laughs> and I think uh, uh, we we also had another one, a Netflix one. It's like a Netflix series. It's called uh, American Conspiracy: The Octopus Murders. And I think this is about an investigative journalist who is killed. And uh, I just thought it'd be fun for the true crime fans. And he's pursuing this conspir political conspiracy. And then he's found dead in his hotel room. And then decades later, they find out more information about him. So I hope this is like one of those, because I'm kind of sick of conspiracy theories. So I hope this is more investigative journalism than nonsense. But, um, you know, I thought the true crime fans out there listening would might be interested in this. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, I also want to mention that, uh two movies that came out recently. I don't know if we uh, totally talked about them, but um, the first one is uh, Drive Away Dolls, which just came out. That's by Ethan Cohen. Um, uh, recently, the Cohen brothers, I wouldn't say they've totally split up, but they've kind of gone on to do their own directorial efforts. I think Joel Cohen did um, They're separated. The Tragedy <laughs> of Macbeth, that movie, which we talked about actually on our, back when we did mm -hmm. our uh, Shakespeare month. And uh, he uh, and Ethan Cohen now releasing uh Driveway Dolls, which my understanding, I don't know the movie too well, but my understanding is it's sort of like a bit of like a road, kind of surreal comedy movie, uh, kind of follows the same sensibilities of some of the Coen brothers, more uh, comedy slanted stuff, dark comedy stuff. So um, I know it's got Margaret Qualley in it and uh, Beanie Feldstein. Oh, Miley, other... Miley Cyrus, too. <laughs> is she in it? Yeah, she's in it. <laughs> oh. Oh wow! I'm looking at this, <laughs> this cast list. It doesn't. I'm, I'm just looking on a Reddit post and I don't see her. So oh man, interesting. Um. <laughs> And another one that just came out uh, literally a couple of days ago, which I'll talk about because I just saw it, is Dune Part 2. I'm actually wearing my Dune uh, shirt today. And Very good. Of, uh, yeah, how was it? Experience. 
Well, I'll talk about it in a moment when we get to All right, what yeah. we watch. So I'll talk about it then. <laughs> but uh, actually, Curtis, why don't you kick us off? So let's talk about what we've yeah. watched uh, this week. So what have you been checking yeah, out recently? Yes, so I didn't watch that much. Uh, my girlfriend and I are watching The Fall, uh, which is a three-part series. I didn't know if it was three seasons. It's actually like three short seasons. It's like six episodes each. Uh, it's on Netflix, and it's starring J- Gillian Anderson, and she plays this uh, – head of this police off uh, police department she's investigating the the crimes of the the Belfast strangler and the narrative kind of alternates between her point of view and the serial killer's point of view so you know who the serial killer is from the first episode um but there's all these like catches and i thought it was going to be like an anthology series like there's one criminal or serial killer per season but it's actually like it breaks a lot of like the the mold for a lot of like true crimes or you know, serial killer series, because there's so many cop series and so many serial killer series, you get kind of sick of them. But I like these subversive ones, too. So I've been having fun watching it. And I think to talk about too much would be to give too much away. But we're on season two now, and I'm really enjoying it. And it's only six episodes for the first season. So if you're looking for something fun to watch for the kind of spring season, definitely check out the fall. And then I also, well, I tried watching The Zone of Interest, but I, I wasn't in really a great place to watch it. But I did like with what Jonathan Glazer was trying to do, too. He was just trying to show, like, on a visceral level, like how horrific the Holocaust was and everything. And it's about, uh, I think you talked about it a couple of weeks ago, John, too. It's like this uh, SS commandant and his family trying to build a perfect life for his family. And they build their home right next to Auschwitz. And uh, it's kind of juxtaposed with the horrors of Auschwitz with the kind of indifference of the family, too. And he has this kind of brooding soundtrack. It's very atmospheric. The way it's shot to you get kind of like this this lingering darkness and it gets it really gets you know we had another movie called under the skin but this movie also gets under your skin but it was so dark and i i appreciate what he was yeah. doing but i just i couldn't i couldn't uh i wasn't in the right emotional state to finish watching it so uh but jonathan glaze is great and i think it was a really well done movie and i liked what he was trying to do i couldn't finish martin amos's book either that was the uh, book it was based upon too but um yeah i mean if you want to really <laughs> strong uh holocaust movie then that's that's probably you probably can't go further than that you know it's, I think a, Spiel- it's an inter- spielberg really I was gonna say it too, it's, yeah it's an interesting story because i mean i, I mentioned this in the pod before but there's the famous like kind of uh, interview with michael Haneke where he talks about holocaust cinema and he's specifically critical of um of um Schindler's, Schindler's List saying yeah. that like you know that movie has some elements that are you know that are that are blockbuster filmmaking like when the the Jews come into the showers and you think it's the gas chambers and it's actually water like there's little tricks like that and yeah it's like you know if you're it's gonna manipulate the Holocaust yeah. you're, you're actually doing a disservice if you're actually showing it in kind of a enjoyable kind of filmic way but if you're yeah you know, and, and I think this movie is sort of the answer to that sort of yeah, because it's kind of in the background. Movie. You get those horrific scenes, but your mind kind of imagines what's actually going on in the gas chambers when you see the the commandant's kind of face and everything too. It, and then it yeah, it's sort of like uh, like Jean Dielman, but like it is a Holocaust movie. It's like you just follow the life of people, and it's yeah. very dry, and it's a lot of really neatly staged shots of things happening and characters moving and. And you feel a little bit kind of it's sort of it's a culpability. Disor- it's disorienting. Yeah. I mean, the it, opening of the movie too. It's like yeah. a, I thought for a second I thought maybe our d- digital print was fucked up or something. I was like, I, it was like after five minutes, I'm like, all right, where's this going? And then yeah. like, yeah, and then I was like, <laughs> is 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 my speaker broken? What's going on here? But, Are you uh, watching yeah. it on your laptop? You're probably yeah. like, oh my God, did I fuck up my computer? Yeah, like, exactly. Like, I was like, 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 shit, I need this for work. Yeah. But uh, it's yeah. It's like the old days playing Metal Gear Solid on PlayStation and it's like your memory card thing came up. I'm like, oh my God, is my game the, broken? The, or... the GoldenEye with the M64 emulator and the whole system crashes. It's like yeah. a bit like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you like Jonathan Glazer, definitely worth watching. But 
definitely heavy viewing too. And I think I, I wanted to watch it back to back with I the Iron Claw. And I think that would have been too much because Iron Claw is an emotional hit too, but on a different level. But um, what did you watch, Burak? Did you watch anything this week? No, nothing particular, actually. I was just writing articles all, all day long. Oh, wow. Uh, so I didn't have the time to watch movies. But uh, the most, I think the most recent movie that I've watched was The Boy and the Heron. I, I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah. It's an animated movie that came out. Yeah. Did you like it? Uh, not so much, honestly. I thought it was very overrated. <laughs> the second half was quite abstract. I didn't really know what he was trying Uh, to yeah. do. Yeah, it was weird. The second half was like, it was like they went I didn't to know what the, the fuck was going Black on. Lodge. It was like a Yeah, like David the Lynch nightmare. The 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 not the Nazi pigeons and I didn't like those things. Right. And then the horrible Hitler falcon or whatever it was. And I was like, what is going on here? And I guess it was some you know, metaphor Yeah. for the the war or something, and then I, I didn't know what the hell was going on anymore. But do you guys know It's it, not it was yeah. the same guy who did your name, right? In 2020 It was Miyazaki, or 2019? I think, right? Didn't Yeah, Miyazaki I do think that so. one too? And your name was a transcendent experience. I love this movie. Yeah, my girlfriend So that really was liked like the that kind one of too. disappointment that came along with that. So I had high expectations. I didn't I didn't like the movie so much. Yeah, Um I I I I like I like the first half, like the setup and obviously the the soundtrack was great and the animation Yeah. was great and I like the initial, you know, the weird yokai heroine or whatever. And then he he looks like a bald old man and I, I did Yeah. I was creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and then they say no yo yokai this is just fucking weird <laughs> Right. i didn't know what he was doing so <laughs> yeah so just that just that one eh I think so, actually. But I'm going to watch Dune 2 today, me too actually. i want to watch Oh, it too nice. let me know what you think yeah give me the full review I will. i'll, I'll add will do you on it. whatsApp after too so you can we can chat Let's yeah do that, yes. <laughs> yeah So in a couple of hours, <laughs> I will watch Dune 2. enjoy <laughs> what did you watch yeah. John you watched Uh, it yeah, you watched I watched... Dune yeah <laughs> I watched, I did, well, I'll talk about that, but I, I did watch a few things. Actually, I, I, I took it off my list, but I have been watching, uh, over the last year and a bit, I've been revisiting all the James Bond movies, and I'm finally at um, uh, the um, the Dalton era. I just finished the last Roger Moore movie, A View to a Kill, uh, which is kind of funny. It's funny, a lot of people don't like, you know, Roger Moore at the end because he's pretty old, but I kind of like old James Bond. You know, he's a little bit weathered. He's like, kind of doesn't neatly fit into spaces like he did as the younger Bond, you know, he's... Yeah, he's still betting th 20 to 30-year-olds. kind of weird, but uh, I don't know. I kind of liked it, but uh, I'm still continuing on that series, so maybe I'll talk more about it next week. But did watch the movies uh, otherwise last week. Uh, one of these was uh, the Olivia Wilde-helmed uh, 2022 movie, Don't Worry, Darling. Uh, a movie that I remember got, like, I there got was tons hate hate of drama mail. around this movie when Yeah. it came out. Yeah, like, the, the drama and the TMZ-ness of this movie kind of usurped the actual... subject matter of the movie because i remember there was like <laughs> the controversy of like spitgate like oh chris pine spat on harry styles yeah, and and what, Olivia Wilde had the affair with Harry Styles or something. yeah I don't know. <laughs> she was in a relationship with him yes or no and and there was you know, apparently feuds with like florence p was the whole production of this movie was a total nightmare but uh it's it's kind of funny to revisit it now you know um, or watch it now you know years removed from that because The movie's honestly kind of like a B-tier Black Mirror episode. I didn't really like the movie that much. Um, I mean, I will say, like, Olivia Wilde, if she's in director jail, I hope she they post her bail soon because I think she's got a good eye for visuals. I thought the the set design of the movie was really excellent. I love the the way it's shot. It looks great. Um, I, I don't know. Matthew, uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Is, is he the same cinematographer? He works with Aronofsky. I don't know if he did um, her previous film, but... Uh, He does the work on this, and it's a beautifully shot movie. I thought visually it was quite good. The premise of it was interesting. It's sort of like we follow this sort of like 1950s like desert suburb community. It kind of looks like the the villages that kind of sprang up during the Manhattan Project of you know the wives all stay home and 
they're at home doing their thing and the husbands all take off at the same time. Step, stepper wives, yeah. To go work. Yeah, it's very much kind of like a modern Stepford Wives sort of follow, thing. Fallout 3, yeah. <laughs> these men are working on this mysterious project, but you don't know about. And then sort of the mystery kind of unveils about what happens. There's kind of a, a huge plot twist that happens too. Um, I thought it was okay. I thought the performance. Actually, th people hated Harry Styles. I actually thought Harry Styles was pretty good in this movie. I thought he was decent, but uh, um, but I, I thought the cast was otherwise kind of okay. I think the story. Um, it felt like they were just jamming so many kind of concepts and things into this movie, and it didn't really um, didn't land well with me. Did you kind of did you like Florence Pugh in the movie, or was she just okay? Or do you I think... mean, yeah, I liked her. I yeah, think she's, she's great. Yeah, it's great. Everything. I, I have yet to see a role where I really didn't like her. I thought she was good in it. Um, Although it was kind of funny, I read I read a comment recently uh, criticizing her for this movie, saying she she has the face of someone who knows what an iPhone is, so it doesn't work. I'm like, that's such a weird thing. What to a say. weird thing I to say. Of, yeah, it cracked me up so much. Transcends I can't stop time. thinking about it. I'm like, what does that mean? I, that also came up with Dune. I'm like, what? I don't know what that means. But uh, iPhone face, I don't know what that means. But uh, I, yeah, the movie was kind of it was plain. It, the ending when the when the ending title card came up, I was I was actually my jaw was down. I was like, I could not believe it ended there. I was like, what in the fuck? But um, yeah, not a, not a great movie. Um, but a much better movie, one that I watched. This was been on my list for a long time. This was the uh, directed by uh, Darius Martyr. This is the, the Sound of Metal, or sorry, Sound of Metal, um, starring uh, Riz Ahmed, um, who plays a drummer named Ruben. He's in this sort of, I guess, avant-garde punk metal band with his uh, girlfriend, Lou, and they're kind of just doing gigs across the United States. They're in Missouri. They're living in this RV and this um, sort of like empty shopping mall parking lot, and they play shows at night. And you see them, um, their their activities, and we start to see Ruben's having some hearing problems. He wakes up with a bit of like tinnitus, and he's seemingly having issues. And as the as the as the events go on later in the movie, he can he literally cannot hear anymore. Like he can barely hear. Um, and so he goes to an audiologist, and they uh, they check his hearing, and he's basically lost almost all his hearing. Um, my understanding is the movie kind of speeds the actual process of severe hearing loss pretty significantly. Like a, um, but he starts to lose his hearing and at this point he's pretty much functionally deaf um and so what happens is that uh, he, the part of the movie as well too is he's actually four four years sober so he's a recovering addict as well too and so uh to kind of um manage what he's going through and also to make sure that he can um you know doesn't fall back into his uh, drug habits um they call a sponsor and they end up sending him to this shelter it's in rural um i think i don't know if it's in missouri it's it's in it's in the middle of nowhere in the boonies and it's uh, led by this man named Joe, who's uh, also a recovering alcoholic who also lost his hearing. So it's a deaf community of people with kind of various drug and related problems. And so Ruben's there and he's sort of he's uh, part of part of going there is he has to, like, give his car keys away. His his, uh, his girlfriend goes away, moves back home to, to, to France and he's by himself here. So um, follows his sort of trials and tribulations at this community. Um, and I, I love the movie. I thought it was very good, although I, I didn't. Uh, to me, it wasn't a five star movie because I went into this with a huge expectations. I've heard people say like it's one of their favorites, and I did like it. I actually thought the storytelling in it was very good. It 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 kind of steered a very interesting lane because I know in the um in the deaf community, there's a lot of stigma around you know getting surgery like cochlear implants, and there's been some um, pushback against that. Um, and this movie kind of delves into that sort of territory and, and actually doesn't really pick a a definitive side, which I thought was kind of interesting. The movie doesn't necessarily want you to think that. You know, trying to resolve those issues is a is a horrible thing, but it also doesn't necessarily want you to think that the people who form these deaf communities that find um, you know, solace amongst each other and 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 you know, sort of a space away from 
um the rest of the world like they they, they don't necessarily pan that either so i really liked it and i the, the ending of the movie i thought was just a, it was a great ending and re, i've been thinking about it. it's really really beautiful stuff and riz ahmed was awesome in it I, I hadn't seen much of him i saw him in obviously rogue one um but he was a, he was phenomenal in this movie uh, and the sound design was great um my understanding is that it actually really does a good job replicating what it's like to be deaf and lose your hearing and I gotta say, it would look terrifying. I'm like, I'm you. You realize how much you depend on sound. Uh, for those of us who are um, able to hear um, normally, uh, I think uh, you know you take it for granted sometimes. And I think the movie really showed you the difficulties involved with that, and what it would be like to just all of a sudden, you, you know, this is your life now. You now have to commit to learning sign language and and fall, you know, kind of embedding yourself in a whole community of people. I thought it was really a really beautiful story too. Um, so a good movie. And then, of course, wrapped it up, watched, um, went to the movies on Friday, saw Dune Part 2, um, the sequel to Dune 2021, which if you saw that movie, you realized, oh, wait, this isn't the full movie. This is just part one. It kind of ends right at the, you know, this is only the yeah, beginning. After, or after Zendaya gets 30 minutes, 30 seconds of screen time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. when when House Atreides has been kind of overthrown by the, the Harkonnen came back to Dune and Arrakis and and beat them and so this movie follows the the second half the rest of the events of the novel if you've seen the david lynch dune the shirt i'm wearing right now you'll you'll kind of know what happens and actually that's actually why i really love dune part two because dune part one i went in thinking it was going to be the whole story and it wasn't and that kind of left a bit of a, a sour taste in my mouth and also i think i was a little bit too stoned i had a pot cookie and the movie's so dry the desert it, I, whatever i was getting sleepy but dune part two i was locked in i just rewatched dune part one a couple of days ago and I really loved it more than the first time around. Well, for whatever reason, it just worked better for me. Um, the um, just the visuals, the kind of classic sci-fi brutalism. For whatever reason, this time around, I really thought it was a beautifully shot movie. Um, and I actually really dug the story the second time around visiting it. And Dune Part Two, uh, I loved. I loved it. I thought it was a great movie. Um, the first half is actually really fun. It's kind of just like following like Paul and and uh chani and all the the um the fremen kind of getting into shenanigans it's kind of fun i really liked javier bardem's character as sort of this this guy who's fully committed to the belief that paul is the messiah and it was kind of fun to see because this wasn't in the lynch movie at all but and i'm not really familiar with the books but um the kind of intersection between kind of the northern fremen who are a bit more secular who don't necessarily adhere to the religious uh, orthodoxy and the the fremen in the south who are fundamentalists and you see the, the kind of tension brewing between them. The And I think obviously it parallels the kind of real life subject matter it was taken from of the kind of disparate groups in, I presumably in, 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 in the, in, in the Middle East and stuff like that of, you know, people who are very religious, very fundamentalist and those who are, are not so much. So um, I thought the, and obviously, you know, with, with current events going on, I think some of the elements of this film, it's kind of colonialist leanings, uh, both the Atreides and Harkonnen, these kind of colonialist forces, I think it hit it hit harder for me, um, and the effects were amazing. I loved the uh, the some of the new cast that joined, of course, uh, Florence Pugh as uh, Princess Arulin. I thought she was great, great in the movie. Uh, Christopher Walken, I, I loved it because uh, he doesn't change his voice at all. So he's like, "Oh, the Hawkinen are here." I'm just like, "Oh my god!" I was just fucking dying. I'm like it's Christopher Walken, just doesn't change. It's like when you see uh, <laughs> back in the day when Sean Connery would be in a movie playing like I don't know a uh, uh, a monk, you know, in, in the Name of the Rose. He'd be like, "Odd show, what is a Chuck Shay?" You know, he just doesn't. My mother was really excited. She's like, "She's like, Curtis, you have to watch Doom Part Two, Christopher Walkinson." And I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna watch it already, Mom. Like, you had me at, you know, Timothy or whatever, you know. So I'll watch it." And, sure. uh, and Austin Butler's in. He plays Fade, and there's a great scene uh, on the, the like, I guess I don't know if it's Giddy Prime, the planet with the uh, 
there's like a big gladiator battle and it was fucking amazing i i mean the movie was excellent it was very long but definitely loved it my understanding is it's sort of setting up for a, a third movie which i guess is based on the second book which i've never read the book but i looked at the plot and i'm like wow this seems pretty fucked up pretty dark stuff yeah. for a hollywood picture so interested to see where it goes but yeah Doug I, I like the first cool. movie a lot more than because i read the book and i thought it was okay maybe i should revisit it but i like the um the first film a lot more than the book but i mean I'll, I'll i guess i'll have to see it the second one turns out too i heard it's like empire strikes back a little bit too i don't know maybe that's just a loose analogy but <laughs> yeah it's kind of accurate i'd say i mean it, the, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh there's like a big battle near the end it kind of reminded me of um yeah, I guess I guess like a Star Wars movie, like Attack of the Clones. I guess I, I saw someone call this the Attack of the Clones of Dune, and I it kind of actually made sense to me because like the ending was just kind of this big like a battle of Geonosis kind of fucking thing going on. I thought it was kind of fun. Um, I do want to give a shout out to uh, Greg Frazier who did the cinematography on this movie. He's done some probably the best current modern day cinematographer on blockbuster films. He did, of course, Batman, uh, Rogue One, um, The Creator. He did a lot of stuff with Gareth Evans. I I words I, I think he's just a phenomenal talent i mean he's making these amazing like dune part two it's crazy the opening sequence it's on arrakis and it's you get the orange light coming in and it's all the black costumes and i watched this movie i'm like it's got fucking more color in it than any netflix movie like condensed it just it's so gorgeous to look at um it makes the case for going to the cinema obviously like i think nowadays people are kind of concerned around the sustainability of movie theaters and all that stuff but you know, movies like this one, Dune Part 2, and, you know, stuff that's come out like Oppenheimer, it, it feels big. It feels like it really, like, I didn't I didn't watch it in IMAX, but the score, the booming score, um, just the lighting when it would transition from, like, dark, dark scenes to bright desert scenes. Like, my eyes were, like, getting teary because it was so bright. Like, Very that stuff was really cool. Very emotional experience, Gurak. It felt, like, important. It felt like a movie, and I, I really dug that. So, yeah, it was great. I look forward uh, to IMAX it. porn. <laughs> yeah, now I've sold this movie to you guys. Like, holy shit, I'm watching it tomorrow. I didn't I didn't get a chance to see an IMAX though. I, I bought tickets late and uh, wasn't a good And my girlfriend has to rewatch the first one. She said she wants to rewatch the first one, then we'll watch it. So I think probably not next week, but the week after. But you guys can give me, you know, Dubrak, you can tell me how it is too. <laughs> Will do. Yeah. I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Unfortunately, here in Ottawa, we don't have the like authentic IMAX. It's like the IMAX branded. So it's like it's still big screen, but it's not like the 70 millimeter, whatever proper authentic IMAX like in, you get in Toronto or other markets like in the United States. Um, I'd love to see it in that kind of mode, like a big 70 millimeter giant tall screen. Uh, I think that would probably really hit. I know recently uh, the movie Tenet got a re-release on IMAX uh, just last week and people saw it in that kind of treatment. And, and I think. You know, I like to think that movies, no matter if you what, how you see them, they're good. But I do think there's something to be said about the spectacle of seeing something like that in the on the big screen. Um, I think about when I saw Dunkirk, like the sound alone was it's like one of the loudest movies I ever saw in a theater. And I just I just remember like, thinking like it was like I was at a concert, like I was going to have like ringing in my ears after the movie. Uh, I do think there's something to that uh, than watching it on like a my shitty 10 year old TV or something with like busted speakers. It's a little bit different. Yeah, I, I guess that's it then for, for what we watched. Do we want to, I guess we can move on to we dive in, yeah. the Prometheus. So um, I, I guess this was actually my first time watching Prometheus. I never saw it when it came out. So. Yeah, you didn't see it in theaters because I, I watched it in theaters when it came out and I, I, I was blown away. Like I, I still love this movie and I know it's kind of in popular opinion, I guess now. But I mean, I tried yeah, when I watched it. Movie. When I watched it, I tried to like disconnect it from like my experiences watching the alien movies, and I think maybe that's why I enjoyed it more too. I don't know if you watched it in theaters too when it came out, Burak, but no, I didn't. No, no. Okay. I watched yeah. it for the first time, I think, last year actually, and we watched it for today. Uh, ah, very yesterday. good. Yeah. Oh, very good. Oh, 
Yeah, I remember when this movie came out, though, there was a big teaser trailer. There was kind of this like uh, this movie kind of came out of nowhere. We like, were wrong. Yeah. I remember that the teaser trailer kind of replicated the alien trailer. And I remember when that dropped. Like, I remember where I was, like when that trailer dropped and everyone was like losing their minds, like, holy shit, a Ridley Scott alien movie. It kind of came out of nowhere. This the the story, the production of this actually started back in the early 2000s, but um, it was kind of in development hell. And then. Um, I think James Cameron originally was also involved with this movie and then later, you know, moved on. And then um, they ended up going forward with sort of the alien versus predator movies, which I, I, I like the first, the movie, the first movie is actually okay. It's not a bad movie. If you like Paul W.S. Anderson, but uh, I've never seen the sequel. I've heard it's bad, but um, yeah, you know, AVP became kind of the thing in the, in the 2000s. So this movie kind of uh, fell to the wayside. Um, but, you know, really Scott always kind of, wanted to kind of come back to this material which is kind of unique because it's very rare for someone to like make a movie that creates a franchise and then come back to it, it doesn't happen very often i think uh someone like wes craven is sort of a um, an example of that you know makes nightmare on elm street a decade later comes back and does a new nightmare it's very mm -hmm. rare there for someone who created a series to come back to it um it almost never happens at least from what i from what i know it's Maybe George. Well, George Lucas was always involved with Star Wars, but it would be like if George Lucas made the first Star Wars movie and didn't wasn't involved in any of them for the next 10, 15 years and then came back uh, with his own movie. So didn't um, James Cameron also come back for like the Terminator six or something? I kind of lost track on this. Yeah, I think but a little bit. Eh? To... I think he was a producer. Yeah, I think he might oh, have a writer okay. credit on it. I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah, he was involved in it. Because uh, he wasn't at all on like the third movie, and so he probably talked that. Ridley Scott into it, you know, coming back to old franchises. <laughs> yeah, he's like, bro, this yeah, is worth money, man. Like, who gives a shit? <laughs> he's probably you'll you'll make him. And to be fair, he did because this movie made a lot of money. It was like I think one of the top box offices yeah. of the year. It made like four hundred million dollars. The movie was a huge success. Um, you know, and it's again weird to watch now, like twenty twenty four, like a. Uh, like a, a prequel to alien that wasn't branded at all with alien branding there's no prometheus and alien saga there's nothing like right. that it's just prometheus right. and it was such a hit i i think of that because i just saw the trailer for furiosa and i was like oh furiosa movie I, everyone knows furiosa then it's like furiosa a mad max saga i'm like come on man like i know what it is like i don't need that <laughs> just in case you weren't sure yeah <laughs> Yeah, you're not sure. it's Furiosa, Mad Max, Mad Max. Furiosa don't need no man. Yeah, <laughs> as if the like from George George Miller, you know, the director of that. If that wasn't enough for me, watching the fucking trailer that has all of the visuals from Fury Road in it, like I totally had no idea. But uh, I don't know, maybe maybe not. Maybe there's some marketing <laughs> logic there. But um, yeah, but yeah, this movie had been in production for a while. Um, finally, by the late 2000s, they started to kind of work on a script. Uh, Damien uh, Lindelof was also involved. Um, they kind of wanted to kind of look at sort of a, you know the prequel of what 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 started kind of the Alien series and kind of get back to um, less the space marine kind of swashbuckling kind of alien action movie towards more of the original kind of more more in the vein of like hard sci-fi story of that has some some sort of sort of more you know philosophical bents around you know humanity i would actually i mean alien is a little bit like that but honestly alien's kind of just like a monster movie at its heart like i think that's why it works so well you know the the second half of the movie is just you know there's a scary alien on a ship and you just follow that happening and that's cool Granted, there are the, some, uh, the David you know, Bowie around, <laughs> you know, pregnancy and, um, you know, yeah, there, there was kind of like a latent and... kind of like pro abortion message. So that was kind of interesting, too, especially in, you know, thinking about Roe versus Wade, the drawback with that, too. And, uh, you know, she has a choice to abort this, 
creature within her too so there's an interesting kind of pro-choice message i thought with it Yeah. which was pretty good and that kind of goes along with like ridley's kind of uh feminist interests in previous films and everything too Yeah, certainly. There's like a there's definitely like a gender analysis of like alien as sort of the alien xeno xenomorph now you call it as sort of a, like a example of sexual violence. I mean, there's even there's a deleted scene in the original Alien where you see the tail and it's presented like very phallic, really tail under the legs, Yeah. um, like a like a penetrating. uh you know male sexual organ it's very much like that and you know it's about men getting pregnant and dealing with this creature popping out of you and it's kind of funny because I, I have friends in my life now recently who are starting to have children and um i have a friend now who's pregnant and talking about there is like a there is body horror in inherent in pregnancy like it changes your your body your hormones your everything about you, you start you start to crave things and your your mood swings and you feel the organism inside of you. There is inherent body horror within pregnancy. So that's why it's such a good material, right? For this kind of treatment, uh, I think, but I don't know anyways. how you felt too. I thought it was kind of interesting to hear more of the backstory too. You know, you get Guy Pierce with the kind of old man makeup, but I mean that was kind of an interesting choice of char character for the uh, the old. With his you little know, dog. I, yeah. I mean, the, the, the plot twist of this movie is actually on the ship. And I was just like, oh, wow, he's on the ship. Like, I, I kind of was so goofy. But um, yeah, this movie, so it, it follows uh, some some main figures. We have uh, uh, Numi Rapace, who's um, Elizabeth Shaw, Dr. Shaw, who's an archaeologist uh, working with her, I guess, her colleague and her uh, romantic partner, um, Charlie Holloway. Um, at the beginning of the movie, we see actually the, the big plasticky looking alien guy drinking some black goop. which kills him and he kind of falls apart into the water and it's sort of left a bit ambiguous. I think if you come back to it, I guess you can speculate that this is one of the alien worlds that, that they visited or. The 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 disc jockeys come from yeah or whatever they call Yeah. the original alien movie yeah. Yeah. But we, of course, as I mentioned in the prologue of this, we, these archeologists are going to different regions of the world and they're seeing like uh, cave drawings uh, in, the, in the immediate part it's in 2089 and they discover this cave drawing with the star map with this benevolent alien looks like something you'd see out of like a christian tapestry or something and um this matches with other ones done in all over the world in ancient babylonia and mesopotamia and all these kind of ancient empires and regions of the world areas where they would have never had any connection it would have been impossible based on the age um it's all there and so the the speculation by elizabeth shaw is that based on what they've seen is that this links to this space uh, distant space um, planetary system and that these aliens might have the clue to unlocking, you know, the, the origins of humanity sort of. Um, and that's really the focus of this movie is a lot of like scientific focus on um, why, why you would do this mission and what's the purpose of the mission. And, you know, we see different people involved with this Prometheus mission, including uh, Charlie Theron as Meredith Vickers who's sort of like the company man, you know, she's, on board hiding in the shadows you know creeping in um you know she's working with a wayland corporation um who has more of like a uh she's not like necessarily like a, like a, like a villain per se but she's sort of the she's the company man you know she's like this is all because peter wayland wants to go wants to fund this you know he has a personal interest in it um emotional interest in it you know i'm just here kind of to support that so um and the crew is kind of a it's 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 sort of following alien right because if you remember alien the crew was a pretty mixed 
group of people. Yeah, of, you get Edris Elba. They don't really question. And... It's kind of nice because they don't question like gender, race too. It's just kind of taken for granted. And there's like sexual attraction, but like you know, yeah. you have Charlize Theron and Edris Elba, and there's no question about race or gender or anything. You know, she's in charge. She's the boss. You know, you listen to her, and he's yeah. he's he's the captain. You know, there's no racism, which is kind of refreshing. You know, it's yeah, kind of utopian kind of in a way. Out, that kind of came about almost by accident too, because the original Alien script there was no gender or uh race labeled it was just characters and so it kind of led led to just casting whomever and it actually worked in the spirit of kind of diversity for the movie you know it's kind of in the spirit of like star trek the idea of you know the future of humanity would be diverse it wouldn't be this closed-minded right so um and it works for this movie as well too uh we get a kind of it's it's sort of like in the first alien movie it's just like a spaceship full of truckers and this movie it's a mix of kind of both we have the kind of geologists and different but there's also just kind of like mercenaries involved who are like ah this seems like crackpot nonsense they have like a little bit of an argument and uh, uh there are some kind of story plot elements in the movie that i think are a little bit contrived i think like why would you have a mission with a bunch of people who are just skeptics and yeah who'd buy who'd buy david involved. bowie <laughs> yeah they're just kind of like they're they're like seem to be not at all involved in the in the in the mission i'm like why are and you even like in this the, mission i don't know if you way? guys understood that too one thing i didn't understand from the trailer there's that scene where nomi rapace's character is like we were wrong what what, was, what were they wrong about like ex- looking at the origins or what is the wrongness i don't understand i never really got that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the idea behind the mission is they're going to visit these aliens that haven't been, you know, really seen yeah. before, and it's there's this element of like making first contact as well too. Um, and so maybe they were wrong the... to make first contact, right? Yeah, and of course, and also... they asked for uh, immortality, right, for for the mm-hmm. Wayland boss, um, who's yeah, on that's, board, and that's, that's like what the gets revealed mission. is it's the secret to life. He's he's dying, or yeah. he says in that little um that's inter- liquid, interview yeah. at the beginning that he's by the time this you see this, I'll be dead. Um, because they, you know, it's just like with Alien, they get frozen to for space travel, they actually freeze you. And so you get kind of like revived and it's been like three or four years, however long it is to, you know, intergalactic travel through space. And um, and that's where we get that great scene too with David, uh, who's the alien ship on, he's the, sorry, he's the robot on board, the android on board, um, like we've seen in the other Alien movies. Um, and he's this um, ship butler who's kind of, I love when he's riding the bicycle and throwing the basketball yeah. and sinking the baskets. Man, the Chicago Bulls, we could really use that on our team right now. David with the with the bike. Um, but it's he's watching movies as well. He's kind of learning a bit of he's learning humanity. He's also studying language. The idea is that he's going to be involved to help with like translation and communication with um the aliens. Um it's kind of interesting. It's kind yeah. of interesting with these AI too, and like in Ash and uh Bishop too. Like they're always kind of like this black box. Like you don't really know what's going on in their mind. And I think that's that's what creates kind of the anxieties about these depictions of AI. So even though you have this kind of progressive kind of views on ra- gender and race, you know, there's still this kind of black box with technology. Is it a Bishop kind of robot? Is it a Ash kind of robot? Is it a well? That's in a good this case, point. Yeah. It's kind of so. like the race analog is the android humanity kind of angle. It's mm. like we might have solved race relations amongst humans, but how we how we relate to androids is certainly we were wrong know, about androids. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and in the first alien movie, of course, the android angle is played as as mm. as a villain, as like a monster as well, a monster within the monster movie. Um, you know, in the, the horror is like you could be talking to someone and have no idea they're an android and no idea of their intentions. And when they when they do turn on you because they're an android, they're also quite dangerous as well. Yeah, and then you get like Bishop, who's like an angel, and like you know, poor guy gets ripped in half at the end of the first yeah. alien, second alien movie. Yeah. Anyway, the, 
yeah with david's character though also like there's there's that element too because like he's you you're, you like him he's presented as very kind of likable he's very meticulous and uh clearly admires his his sort of creator his father um you see him like combing his hair he's watching like classic cinema he's watching classic movies and and sort of replicating the kind of figure like someone from like peter o'toole lords of arabia kind of has a look to him um but uh as as the movie goes on you see him do kind of questionable kind of evil things and I'm yeah like, What's he gets going kind of progressively here? worse <laughs> and i think it makes sense when you find out about peter whalen's involvement but i was kind of like what's he doing you know with the black goo and he's like hiding it and he's the one who puts it in the drink for charlie which i I actually zoned out a bit. I missed it. I had to rewind it and catch that. But he was yeah. The one he puts his like little liquid. toxin. And, yeah, yeah. And that's what Charlie drinks it, and it turns him all crusty and little worms in his eye and everything. Um, but they go to the planet LV two. Uh, is it LV two two three? Is that it? Two three three? I can't something remember like that. Yeah, yeah. But they land on it and uh, they see this seemingly this kind of like it looks like a human or intelligent intelligent created complex. There's like a runway. It doesn't look natural. They go there and it's hollow. And they find uh, evidence of alien life. They find this holographic thing that shows the the aliens running away, and they find the head. And um, I will say to a credit to this movie, I thought the visual effects of this movie were fucking amazing. Like mm. even today, it's watching a, it's very it, like, cinematography, awesome. You know, like this. Yeah, twenty twenty four. This movie's what twelve years old now. It looks looks great. Like uh, it still looks like brand new. Like to me, I, I thought the special effects of this movie were really well done. And actually, they used a lot of I think practical. Um, effects too uh, i think the big uh tentacle alien guy at the end they actually had built like models of that so it they they used obviously special effects but um there was a lot of physicality to it like a lot of natural special effects work and so that actually that's why it kind of feels pretty it looks tangible like it actually looks pretty good it helps it um, age well i think but yeah of course things go wrong as, as this progresses certainly right and that's like my major like my first the first moment where i felt that i was a little bit annoyed uh, which is that when the crew was there and they kind of had their radars and they understood that this was terraformed and there was like um, a breathable atmosphere and they couldn't take off their helmets which makes maybe sense to kind of you know try it out for a bit but then this kind of recklessness of the crew and you always get this in, in all of the oh, movies. The two, the two guys in the cave, yeah. Right. I mean, the, the way that they approach this kind of this this snake, right? And yeah, let me touch alien, it. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like weird, right? And in the first Alien movie, I kind of bought it. I thought that was very realistic, the way that they were intrigued and were beckoned in by, by this kind of mystery. And they wanted to find out what, what actually this, this thing was. And this kind of attack made sense to me. But in this one, I felt this just borderline recklessness. And I, uh, I, I kind of asked myself, if you have a crew that is very diligent um, with with you know how they uh, conduct their jobs, will you actually get a movie? Probably you won't. So you need some yeah. some kind of element of foolishness or stupidity. It's like the the kind of galvanizer also in horror. You need movies. someone to open the Pandora's stuff. box. Exactly. <laughs> well, if you think, I used to yeah. think about Prometheus as a kind of classical figure too. You know, like it was kind of dumb what he did, like offering Zeus a platter of like. Yeah. kind of shitty meat you know and then he got punished by getting his liver ripped out by the eagle every day right chained to a rock too so i mean i guess there's that kind of element of hubris or stupidity in it too right so yeah. as Werner Herzog would say the different kinds of stupidity right so heroic stupidity well this one's just re like reckless stupidity but yeah <laughs> yeah, but that's, yeah that's that's such a good point about the original movie and i mean the original movie works too because they're they're also space truckers you get the whole movie sort of like they're in over their heads it's like this crew that you know they're the, the equivalent of like the blue collar kind of travelers and you know they have their kind of their smarts but they're not like they're not scientists they're not 
part of the corporation. They're low level employees. And so that kind of getting taken right. advantage of that kind of naive, naivete makes sense. Yeah, this movie, they're they're literally scientists. Like they should be it's... testing the environmental signals before Charlie's like, yo, I'm YOLOing it, takes his helmet <laughs> off. Like, yeah. And uh yeah, that but part yeah, cause, definitely cause there's like a kind of, there's kind of like a moral responsibility weird. too. Like when you're a scientist on board a cruise ship, like each, everyone has a particular niche and a particular role but you all have to kind of work together you can't just take off your fucking helmet you know like the guy in the martian yeah. like he knows his shit he doesn't just take off his helmet you know yeah certainly i think that's sort of some some of the words of this movie are i mean i i i i, I did have some problems with the story and some of the character motivations too like a lot of that was it felt very like contrived storytelling um stuff to kind of create drama but didn't really work as well for the intelligence of the characters but um um, although I did like though they when they get back to the ship because you know shit shit goes wrong the two guys get left there obviously um, and when they're on board um, later Charlie and, and Meredith they sleep together and Meredith um, I think after when she comes back when David checks her out when they're getting decam de decontaminated decontaminated uh, finds out she's pregnant he's like oh you're three months pregnant which is obviously impossible and there's that one of my probably my favorite scene in the movie is when she's in that little cryo medical pod and mm. gets the alien the C almost like the C section yeah. the extraction gets the she alien gets the abortion, yeah. her body and it's that's a good scene brutal to watch I was just yeah. like horrified at it and uh, all the alien stuff in it was great it's a body Another horror great, great part of this movie not a lot of aliens for an alien movie I know that's sort of the point of it but like I kind of wish there was more whenever there was a tentacle guy going around I'm like I was I was all in uh, the movie's actually. I will say as a credit, the movie is quite at times a little bit dry. Like it really commits to, you know, we're going into the ship, seeing some odd things. We're going to come out and, you know, it doesn't, doesn't throw you right into the, you know, all the shit that's going on. You know, we don't see the, the big, the space jockey engineering aliens until, you know, later in the movie, David sees that kind of, that's the room with the, the one in, in the cryostasis, but, you know, we don't see them come up to later when, you know, Peter Whalen, when they go back with him, uh, to see the the engineer and that's a great part part where the engineer rips david's head off it just, just rips him off like a, like a predator i thought that was uh i thought that was pretty sick um, and that encounter too like you know when, when the the uh, space this jockey meets with uh Whelan for the first time just like breaks his neck and i was like oh, okay well i guess he won't be back in uh alien covenant you know <laughs> good riddance stay down <laughs> Uh, I loved like some of the like the, the horror stuff like where it's kind of running through the kind of almost like the thing uh, or the alien sequences with when they see the camera right at, right at the front of the ship doors. It's like there shouldn't be anyone there. And another kind of dumb, th dumb thing. It's like, oh, let's check out what it is. Put the doors down, walk right up to it. And sure enough, you know, it unfolds himself and he's like the killer killer version of one of the guys on board. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, I think it was um can't remember. But uh one of one of the crew members, um, you know, goes goes haywire, starts killing everybody, breaking their helmets, and then gets burned burned to a crisp. Um, but um, I, you know, as the movie goes on, then we see the engineer aliens, and uh, that takes more of the focus. And we find out of all those all those uh, vases, all those black goopy things, um, it seems to be that they're actually this is this whole thing is a big ship, and it's going to take off presumably towards earth. I gotta be honest. I lost the plot of this movie. Like, so midway through, I was going off vibes. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. I'm like, <laughs> what is the secret of this? I, I kind of thought that it was like, they created this weapon that backfired against them, but I'm not sure if that was what it actually was in the story. I was a bit confused, but uh, like, why did they create the black goop or did they create the black goop? Uh, presumably the idea was they were creating this as a weapon to kind of 
push back on humanity because I guess the idea of what the Prometheus myth is, you know, giving fire to the to the to the humans and in effect empowers the humans perhaps in in ways you don't want. And so it's like the humans have become kind of especially like with the corporate the rise of capitalism corporations like Whalen Yutani these intergalactic space corporations that can just go to systems and mine them for resources and you know just like a marauding alien violent alien force and i could see the idea of these engineers being horrified by that vision of humanity and um she was reading there was some there was some script details where they were going to show more information about the engineers and one of them was going to be this 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 like this engineer who went to earth um to kind of sway humanity who was crucified and the idea was actually going to be the engineer was jesus christ so the idea of like the engineers actually going back and trying to kind of mold humanity for a better purpose and sort of humanity um you know ultimately being corruptible and, and not being able to be tamed so that that element of it kind of makes sense i think but um I, the movie doesn't really make that totally clear um when you watch it so uh, for me, I was a bit confused, but I was enjoying the ride. It's a, it was a very good experience, especially when that big ship was doing the big donut thing, spinning down the hill, which I know a lot of people have grapes with when they, when they run in the straight line. It's like just, just run the other way. I know that's <laughs> something that comes up a lot, um, but I didn't. I, mind I guess it. it's hard and, to think, think straight when you're when a, a spacecraft is coming down on you. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Like, what, do you, what logic goes out the door when you're getting chased by a giant space donut that's rolling after you? Yeah, it's too bad, my man. Out. You know, Idris Elba died in, in Impact too, because that would have been cool to have him around for a little bit longer. But <laughs> yeah, he went out like a hero though, playing did, his, yeah. uh, Steven Stills. Um, uh, Harmon or not harmonica the, yeah and he he got with charlie Theron and then he crashed so it was kind of like a heroic ending for him he so had a good kinda... yeah he had a pretty good run in this movie all things considered <laughs> um i just like the fact that he's like a crosby stills nash head you know the this movie <laughs> takes place probably like a good 40 decades after all the band members have long gone so i'm glad to see there's someone still holding the flames of mid-century folk rock in america you know someone's still still fanning those flames um but yeah, they they crash. They they take the ship out, but the ship lands, and uh, by the end, Meredith's the only one left. Uh, sorry, not Meredith, but um, uh, Doctor Shaw's the only one left, other than David. Yeah, her and David, ahead, yeah, you know? who's who's ahead. <laughs> and then Literally. my other favorite part is the ending, which is sort of like a throwback to Alien, where she's on the kind of drop ship pod, um, and everything's kind of broken, and then we find out the alien that was extracted from her is actually this giant tentacle monster now. And then the when the engineer runs up to grab her she opens the door and grabs the engineer and uh, impregnates him with, with the alien. And, and that's another nod. If you didn't catch on, this is an alien prequel with all the whale and Yutani shit. Um, you, you, you see that. And the ending, of course, before the credits where the, this, the, I guess the, it's called a neomorph. They have different names, but the pointy hair, the pointy headed alien pops out of him. Mm. And then you're like, Oh shit, it's, it's alien the whole time. Yeah. Um, surprise but, the, but yeah i think the movie has like the, the movie is trying to tell like a more intentional story around sort of the philosophy of kind of of life and the origins of humanity and you know and i think with shaw's character like the the ending of her character is sort of like uh, she's sort of like this like a naive explorer this interpret explorer there's different personalities on board those who believe and those who don't believe those who have a kind of more cold calculated view of the mission and those who kind of go in wide-eyed and bushy-tailed like like Shaw. But by the end, she has this more steeled kind of, I mean, after what she's gone through. But, you know, at the end, it, it would make sense for her to want to go home and leave, but she still determined to go on and explore more and find out more of the truth, which I, I assume sets up the sequel. I, I haven't seen the sequel, but 
Um, I'm assuming that's where that. Uh, You'll be a bit disappointed with the sequel to opening. I won't say Uh-oh. anything though. Yeah. <laughs> like Alien Three, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Oh crap! Okay, oh, well no, I know where it's sorry, going but... then. Yeah. Well, that's that's great to know. So... Thanks, Ridley. Uh, sorry. <laughs> but maybe I'll see some more Alien stuff, and and that'll sway me. But. Uh, you know, there's some stuff there around AI as well too. What the purpose of David's sort of character, um, as sort is of is he learning? Serving... Is he learning from his you know algorithms, or is it like just kind of is he totally programmed from the Wayland Corporation to you know like to what extent does he have that kind of autonomy? Yeah, serving his master Peter, and then of course Peter just being the mission going completely wrong. Peter's you know Peter dies in front of him. And David sort of, you know, lets him go. You know, Peter kind of views David as a as sort of a son figure, but also it points out that he's an android and, and David never really related. I mean, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but David has a role in the next film too. So that's interesting because he kind of yeah. like outlives his programmers and everything. Too, oh, interesting. And cool. agenda. Yeah. So I'm, I'm here for that. Yeah. So that might be interesting to talk about too for the next uh, uh, sequel. For me, it was always very interesting that David is um, so so very human-like. I mean, of course, he's an android, but the the way that he we get the scenes that he sometimes even practices uh, actively practices in you know learning languages. That's not something that ChatGPT mm-hmm. would would do. For instance, you would just feed them data and they would know. Yeah. And there's this one line by a German philosopher called Peter Sloterdijk, and he said that uh, the the human is the animal that practices that's the only thing that distinguishes ourselves from from animals animals don't practice anything they can kind of know it or don't but we practice and we get good at things and that's what you what you see david do uh which is interesting and also this the the, the entire aesthetics with the milk right you get this from the original alien alien movie but also here you have this kind of white when he becomes the statue right when he's ripped off from from his body or torso this kind of whitish um like uh, effervescent, whatever that is, like uh, like shampoo-like uh, substance, right? That's the. It looks very organic too. It's not this kind of um, um, android machine uh, like uh, look you it's get from like Machina, for instance, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and he, the second movie, I don't want to spoil anything, but but he really becomes very human-like. I have to say, it's almost uh, it's very eerie. It's very uh, uncanny. Um, to, to look at his uh, genesis or evolution. Uh, you know, kind it's of interesting. That it becomes. It's interesting too, like in terms of trust too, you know, cause that's kind of a prominent yeah. theme now in a lot of uh, AI interactions too. And just how much the people on board rely on him and how dependent they are on him as a figure, even though, you know, he kind of appears as a black box too, and how much trust right. everyone places. And it turns out to be, you know, like <laughs> bad uh, misplaced trust because you see how, uh, dangerous he he becomes as the film goes on and and like you said john it's kind of like a gradual kind of the way the audience learns about how kind of uh malevolent his behavior is it's a bit like ash you know it's kind of shown gradually through the movie and he kind of gets progressively worse as the movie goes on so i thought that was interesting too yeah and i love with um with ridley scott even though i don't always connect to his movies and i find sometimes that's sort of the the common refrain about his movies they're very very deliberate very beautiful the score especially his later post gladiator efforts they're big budget they're filled with a great rich cast but sometimes the actual machinations of creating the characters is a little bit left um is a little bit you know it doesn't we don't really get the same character connection that we get with some of his his better films but um i always love that he kind of embeds his films with like a lot of influence from from philosophy and art because he's an artist by by trade and um, you know, this movie takes a lot of inspiration, obviously, just like the first film did from like 2001 and Space Odyssey with a lot of the designs of of the ship and, and the machinations of space travel, too, and um, also takes influence. I think uh, he had mentioned that um, 
the the the, the story of the engineers, um, the sort of these fallen figures, is a reference to uh, John Milton's Paradise Lost as well too. Um, so uh, there's a little, there's a little bit of all that, and I think there, there while there was that Giger influence, the HR Giger, that that wasn't as much in this movie. They kind of tried to kind of create something a little bit different because you know the Giger stuff is like the Xenomorphs, it's like the the corruption, and they try to kind of not totally use all of that stuff because that's more linked to Alien. I, I do appreciate the fact that he didn't just want to like break the glass rehash it, of emergency yeah. and rehash it and he said deliberately that you know everyone knows what the xenomorph looks like you've seen him you know yeah. what he is well he, he put does. a lot of thought into the mythos and he really wanted to kind of forge a new direction for this series like explore more of that world because it is a really interesting world like what do we really know about this, the disc jo jockey you know from the first film we don't you know and that's something i think he wanted to explore like the yeah. origins but unfortunately it kind of maybe that kind of backfired for him it's the push pull between like religion and 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 science and this movie sort of it, it kind of combines them all together where it's like, you know, the, the explanations for how life is created comes from a lot of like theological texts and passed on traditions and stories. And maybe those stories and traditions have a more scientific alien space origin and how can these sort of coexist at the same time. And I mean, Shaw has like a cross and I don't, I don't know if we see much about her religion. I know we, she's broadly religious because she wears a cross, but she's sort of this figure that just believes. And that's sort of the text of the movie where she says, you know, they, she chooses like, to believe. Yeah, she yeah. chooses, to believe. chooses she's to believe. Like, yeah, she's like, I, I don't know for sure, but this is what I believe in, and I'm I'm gonna follow that. And even though she's a scientist too, it sort of shows how and you can. It's interesting too because sort of even yeah. as society becomes more secular, we see like you know even in centuries from now, people still want to believe, and I think that shows the fundamentalism of faith. People always want things to believe in, whether it's an old religion or something new to believe in too. So it kind of reflects that a little bit, I think. And yeah. I think this and is like the yeah. Go. No, I think this is really the gist of the 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 movie. I thought this was also the reason why I didn't like the score. Actually, I didn't <laughs> because it had this element of um, "Thus Spake Zarathustra," like from nineteen sixty eight, the the two thousand one Space Odyssey one, um, which is like it had like a score um, element of there's a revelation at the end. I thought that the last notes in the score they were always like this. There's the the, the sun comes up and then you see everything as it is. But the, the movie is definitely not that. If it's one thing, it's you don't know. It's just uh, deferred on and on. And yeah. I thought that this kind of the, the play with religion and science was interesting because imagine you go to the enge engineers and you can't ask the question, why actually, why did you create us, right? And there's this one tete-a-tete, -tete, this one conversation between Halloway and uh, David, I think. Um, where David kind of, um, you know, confronts him with that. And he he says that he would, wants to do anything and everything to kind of get the answers. And David kind of asks, but what actually would you, um, how, he asks, why did you create me or something? And then he, because humanity could, and that could be the same reason why the engineers crafted the humanity to, uh, humanity to begin with, right? And this kind of really uh, demotivating answer of we, we just created you because we could, is kind of um, <clears throat> um, makes the movie or frames it in in a way that you don't you shouldn't really chase this question because ultimately you're just going to get disappointed and this kind of uh, the cross the religious turn um, of of Doctor Shaw I thought was this kind of move of you know you just choose to believe whatever and you know kind of getting getting the final conclusive answer will just will just uh, you know make you very sad and disappointed ultimately. <laughs> It's like yeah, that Ian Malcolm quote from Jurassic Park where he's like, you never stop to ask if we should. We just stopped to ask if we could. You know, it's yeah. maybe that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it, may, it makes me think of a potential future where AI uh, that we've created could ever become that advanced. What would they ask about why? Why did you make us? 
And we would say, well, because we wanted to make a bunch of because we because we could we were were unright there was no regulation we could do whatever we wanted we just because companies wanted to axe labor and this was a cheap way to just cut off the workforce could exploit you very easily I mean it's really kind of cynical kind of view but I I mean that's sort of the the one thing I like about this movie in 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 um in relation as well with all the alien movies including the Cameron ones too is that. These movies are are often about sort of you know they're very like high minded about space and philosophy and and science and the pro science movies but they're very much like skeptical about authority about intelligentsia about corporations in general that manage space exploration and travel um in, in like the alien movie it's a group of blue collar truckers and you know in this movie like the big hero of this movie is is Janik Elder Selba who's just like a a captain of a ship he's smart but he's sort of like a he's like a traditional a colonialist, you know, ship captain. He's um he's focused on space and on his crew and he's he's not someone for like high-minded uh ideals. He's sort of a more pragmatic kind of figure. Uh but we see him even though he's very pragmatic and not a scientist, he's sort of like the most even-keeled and best to handle an actual emergency operation than all of these like scientific minded you know capitalist figures who you know they're they have all the money and all the power but when you know when the chips are down you know the the analogy like uh the the mike tyson quote i don't know if it's apocryphal but you know everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face it's sort of like when that punch in the face happens all of these figures that can't can't handle it but you know ildris alba is sort of the one you want he's sort of even though he's sort of this um even keeled guy he's very smart in his own way he's very understanding of you know, he sees he sees the betrayal that happens. He understands like why they're there. Catches on pretty early, and and I think that's kind of cool to see. It's like um, you know, it kind of empowers the kind of lower classes, the blue collar uh, space. Because even even if we advance in society and go into space, and you know, you still need people to like run the ships to fix things. You still need people to clean the toilets. It's not like those dynamics of of labor are ever going to necessarily go yeah. away. Well, it's like um, when you play, I don't know if you guys have played uh, Alien Isolation, which is one of my favorite games too, but you know, like, even though you have this future, you still have those, like, this, like, clunky anachronistic 70s technology. You have to, like, fix the lever in, you know, Quadrant 5 or yeah. whatever. And, like, I love like, that oh, man. too. <laughs> it's sort of a legacy of an old style of just the limitations of technology back when they were making these movies. Like, 2001, you see all the, like, Bell Company, IBM interfaces, which now, of course, are gone, but... It's sort of like, how can we make the future still relying on the old stuff? And I kind of love that stuff. The the analog, the beeps and boops, the buttons that you press. Nowadays, you know, it's all, no, no the interfaces are very minimalist. The um, the actual things you interact with, like if you're driving a brand new Tesla car, there's like very little physical buttons. Um, but I love that kind of neo future of just, you know, we still have levers and cranks and stuff. And I think it kind of works well in movies. Like it's something very cinematic about it. There's something tangible. You got steam getting pumped in. Yes, yeah, um, the visual effect. Yeah, he loves his steam, doesn't he? It's always about the steam. <laughs> yeah, because without it, you're relying on like CGI, and it doesn't necessarily. It might look good that year it comes out, but is it going to look five, six years from now? Who knows? And I think all of those tangible things, it kind of helps age things in a way. Like when you watch 2001, that stuff actually helps it a bit because it's tangible. Uh, but it still has some really kind of cutting edge for its time stuff, like the floating pen and how they shot it. Like it still looks quite good, um, even when you're watching it in 4K, where you're looking for the 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 fishing line to see it float in, and you're like, how do they do that? It's it's still quite it's still quite good.
I just want to say too, our boy uh, Roger Ebert really liked this film. He gave it four out of four stars on his website. And he said, uh, Rodley, R Ridley Scott's Prometheus is a magnificent science fiction film, all the more intriguing because it raises questions about the origin of human life and doesn't have the answers. So he was a big fan too. So <laughs> I don't feel alone, you know, with my <laughs> my Prometheus love. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize this movie was so po this movie was so polarized when it came out. There yeah. were people who fucking hated this people, movie. People hated this one, yeah. And people who like absolutely loved it. And I feel like over the years that it's kind of ebbed and flowed. I feel like when it first came out, there were a lot of people who are disappointed and i feel like now it's pretty well regarded as like a lot of people call it like one of the best sci-fi movies of of the of our generation like i feel like that comes up a lot um certainly but, when people talk best movies of ridley scott's career this movie comes up as sort of one of his better uh later efforts for sure but what if, i mean if they created humanity but who created the animals then if that's the lore you know that's true yeah i, that's I, I a guess kind of Life yeah. finds a way to go back to Malcolm or whatever. <laughs> heat, heat, heat entropy. Heat entropy. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, never really yeah. answered, is it? It's just humanity. Yeah, we don't. We don't, we don't. We don't see animals on this planet. Maybe there is, but they're being they're being species they're being speciesistic. <laughs> yeah, they are actually. Yeah. In some sense, it's very anthropocentric. It's all yeah, about so humans, so. of course. It's all, it's all about the humans, you know. Yeah. I'm more interested in the cave tigers. I mean, but... Yeah, I mean, also with respect to movie making, like if they had spent so much this movie really giving you the the nitty gritty of things, it would just come across as heavy handed exposition and people. Would yeah, but it just goes to show, I think, that if you do these kind of big movies about the origins of life, which is of course, an, you know, one of those you huge know, topic, <laughs> huge topic, that yeah. you just immediately um, are vulnerable, prone to some you know scrutiny, logical right? fallacies it just doesn't make sense um at some points you know and it's yeah. um yeah that's something that you but but the origin of life thing what i liked is that it was reflected from so many different you know prismatic angles almost it's like this idea of giving birth like a woman giving birth and then dr shaw of course, of course being uh infertile and she was able she wasn't able to do that ultimately she gives birth to an alien and it, what i found lovely actually was in the movie i thought uh that the engineers were framed as the enemies or the the adversaries, but the the xenomorph alien at the beginning is actually your ally because um, the facehugger protects Doctor Shaw, her yeah. mother or his mother, what its mother, whatever. You know, there's this scene where the engineer wants to you know you know approaches her and uh, looks very aggressive. And the and the the facehugger is able to overwhelm him, um, the the engineer that is. Uh, with this kind of an oral again the phallic imagery that is that is quite um that is quite conspicuous here uh and I always felt by the way uh, that the that alien in some sense the, the the entire franchise punishes heterosexuality in some sense it's uh, you know in the second so yeah, the, the, there's the, a latent yeah. queerness right to the whole thing right there's the second movie yeah too there's a kind of queer coded characters very like yeah you have been mistaken for a man before yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> There's this movie in the second one. I forgot what the, was it. Covenant, I think it's Covenant, right? Where you have this kind of very, um, you know, two people getting intimate, you know, heterosexual couple, and that's the movie when the that's the moment when the alien strikes, which I found very interesting. And of course, here I guess like in this, this movie, movie too. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like don't have sex. I guess also with <laughs> the horror tropes, it's like sexuality. It, it, well, it you know just brings about chaos and violence too. There's something about that. kind of like phallic, you know, paintings and things too, and yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this movie does have that, but it doesn't get into the so much the you know the Giger. I think the Giger well has been kind of mined up so so much, and obviously the and the subsequent sequels and stuff too. Even with something like I know a lot of people don't like Alien, um, Alien Resurrection, but I do think that movie does some pretty good body horror stuff. With yeah, it, with the, the, the alien the alien baby, the alien baby, the alien baby just like, wants 
alien baby just wants his mother you know <laughs> yeah well that that movie came out in in the shadows of like dolly the sheep and the 90s was yeah. all about you know cloning we're gonna have clones and like hybrids years, and, and things and, and that embryos. movie's sort of getting it's that kind of you back to the sort of eugenics well of i remember uh, i i said like i had this very empathetic reading of the alien baby and alien resurrection and i posted in this alien group and i got so much shit for it it was so controversial i was like i actually like I actually really cared about this alien baby, even though it killed like five of the crew members because it just wanted its mother, you know, and then it has this horrible death, like getting sucked out of the airlock. You know? I was like, oh, it's so funny. Baby. As a kid, I thought that. But I watched it again. I'm like, fuck that baby. I was like, kill that. Kill it with fire. I like when I watched baby. as a kid. I felt so bad. But 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 second time around, I was kind of like, oh, man, get it. Get rid of him. He's a monster. I, I don't know what this is about me personally, but. Uh, <laughs> I like the little. I, I have a soft spot for the baby, but I also have a soft spot for the movie. So I guess I have kind of weird tastes. Oh, I did. I did want to add too that this was actually Roger Ebert's uh, last uh, Ridley Scott film that he reviewed because oh yeah, by the following year before he saw yeah. The Counselor, maybe a good thing. So uh, <laughs> um, yeah, because he had just been he had switched to doing because he used to do the show yeah. and then you know when he had his jaw surgery, yeah. he couldn't speak anymore, so he was just doing the writing. So it's weird to think I used to go on RogerEbert.com religiously like every day when I was you know through high school even up till university when he was still writing. Like I would go on there every day to see the latest like Roger Ebert review. Now yeah. I have a much more complicated relationship with Roger Ebert for yeah. good and bad. I like, I appreciate what he gave to me as a young film fan. who didn't know much about the world of film criticism as a lot of people did, but um, he wrote a book. He wrote a book called I, "Your Movie Sucks," but his movie, the one that he screen wrote, wasn't very good either. So I, I don't know what's going on there. So. Well, his I used to love his on his blog. He used to do the great movie series where he would talk about. Yeah. He would kind of go a little more long form on the stuff that he really loved that he would have given like four stars or or sometimes stuff that he gave lower scores that he was revisiting that he then liked. And I used to love that stuff. And I mean, yeah, back in the day, nowadays you can read from any critic you can go back through the archives you can see who the the hot new kid on letterbox who everyone loves you can see and on youtube there's so many options available <laughs> now uh me amongst them curtis all of us amongst them but you know back in the day it was so much more siloed and someone like ebert had such an important voice because he was the only one out there sort of on tv or or media that was getting the advertising for that too so yeah, but uh, yeah, this movie, when it came out, did very well. It was a huge critical commercial success. It was an IMAX, too. Yeah, I didn't see it in theaters, though. I don't know why I didn't see it. I think I just, um, Alien prequel, I wasn't really like that keen to go out and, and see it. I don't really know why, but it seems like the movie I should seems like a movie I should have. I think when it came out, it, that's when it started to get the like the backlash and that sort yeah. of kind of, when I saw that come up, I was like, oh, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> I think it is but, worth seeing uh, on the big screen, but I think, you know, I, I think it is important to be critical of it, too. Like you and Burak said, I think there is parts that don't really hold up so well. And I think it was probably too ambitious for its own good in a lot of ways, too, much like Prometheus, the classical figure. And I think that can be affect how you think about the film. Another person who enjoyed Prometheus was director James Cameron, who had said oh. that he said, I thought it was great. He said, I enjoyed Prometheus. I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was Ridley returning to science fiction with gusto, with great tactical performance, beautiful photography, great native 3D. Uh, there may have been a few things that I would have done differently, but that's not the point. You could say that about any movie. Um, he did have some issues with some of the plot like we all do, but um, yeah, he liked it a lot too. Um, I would love to actually check this out again on like, blu-ray because i left it like I, again with ridley scott you, you watch his movies and you buy them and there's like a director's cut there's like a five-hour documentary with alien actually on youtube they had the full uh making of on there and i actually i watched i didn't watch alien again when we did it on the pod but i watched the documentary um and it's like it's like five hours long so i just threw it on when i was like doing stuff all day in the house and then 
uh, spent some time during dinner watching it. And you just get so much information about how these movies are made. And I love that sort of thing. He's a really great filmmaker for, you know, film heads who want to know about all the elements of production, of pre-production, of the script writing and the the this costuming and set design, especially with Alien, how they constructed all the studio lot sets and how authentic it looks, even though it's all artificial. I mean, that's that's so cool. And uh, yeah, I'm curious to learn more about how they did it with this movie, because obviously this movie relies um, on special effects, but there is a lot of physical um, stuff. They, I, I, I imagine a lot of this was stuff that was built on set. So, and I think they shot a lot of it in Iceland, like the opening sequence and also yeah it looks like kind of Icelandic, almost alien kind of landscape which it's beautiful I, I, yeah. I mean you get the shots over the mountains i'm like holy shit this is gorgeous the, the, the beautiful to... volcanoes that nobody can pronounce <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah very cool and obviously as we said there's a sequel alien covenant that came out uh based on what you guys have said it involves some of the characters from this movie but uh I haven't seen it, so I'll have to wait to more to Michael Fassbender. <laughs> Another polarizing movie. When that movie came out, I remember that came out um around the time I had just started working my co-op, now my full-time job, and some of my coworkers saw it, and there was a big debate about some of them liked it, some of them thought it was stupid. There's a lot of like that. So I'm curious to see, you know, because this movie had I was it was very polarizing and I I leaned a certain way, and I'm kind of curious to see where I'll land with uh with that movie too. So I guess anything else you guys want to add about this movie that we might have? Uh, I think that's missed? everything for me. For me too. Yep. Yeah. It's lovely. Cool. I guess uh, we can get into our, our scores, our reductive scoring, uh, which determines what we think of the movie uh, in the spirit of Roger Ebert, right? Uh, so, Curtis, <laughs> what did you think of this movie? What, were, what would you rate? Well, I watched the theaters. I love this movie. I know it has some problems too. Uh, I, I think another thing. Too, that we we didn't talk about so much is that I think the uh, were the writers the same as the ones from Lost. It was I think so. Yeah, Lindelof, did right, David yeah. Damon Lindelof or was it, or yeah, I think he did Lost too, and I know he got a lot of shit from that. Um, but I <laughs> I I love this movie. I had a lot of fun with it too. I know a lot of it didn't add up, but I'm kind of in the same camp as James Cameron. I love this movie. I thought it was very visual. I love the kind of pro-choice message. I love the performances. I love the cast. Uh, I love Charlie's there and as the the captain. I love the kind of alien set designs and everything too in the Icelandic landscapes and the the kind of mythology they get into. We didn't really need to know about the disc jockey, I think, but like it was kind of a cool, you know, maybe for Ridley Scott was a failed experiment, but I was really interested in this experiment and I love this movie. It was a four and a half out of five for me. What about, what would you give it, Burak? Uh, I think I would give it maybe three and a half or four out of five, mm -hmm. I think. Um, I liked it a lot too, and I actually do like it if there's plot holes, if there's some logical uh, inaccuracies. Sometimes I, I, I think it's just uh, sympathetic. It's uh, something that you have high ambitions and you're courageous and you're ac you actually want to do something, which of course makes you liable to any kind of error. But I think ultimately this is um, this is also something that I kind of like sometimes if there's little flaws in, in plots or whatever. And I think they, they are not as uh, egregious as in some other films um, where plot holes really kind of ruin the experience. I thought on this one, it, that, that was okay. And I totally agree with everything you guys said. It's um, visually, it's really, really good. There's some scenes that are, the, the C-section scene is just mind blowing and harrowing and, and it's really, really good. And yeah, so yeah, the, 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 the franchise itself, of course, you always have to gauge that also uh, with respect to the other alien films uh, that are out there. I thought this was the second best. I didn't like the resurrection one. Uh, I didn't like the what was it Alien Two or Alien what, Three? Yeah, Alien Three was the best. Actually, one. <laughs> Alien Two I didn't like at all. Um, the, the military... Aliens or Aliens? Aliens. Yeah, I mean, yeah, then yeah. right. Oh, the, really? The, okay. The yeah. yeah, I didn't like that um, so much. 
uh, I thought this was the second best. I thought the the original one, of course, is the ultimate best. Uh, it's such a such a such an amazing movie. This one was the second best in my estimation. Okay. Yeah. What about you, John? Yeah, I gave I gave it a three and a half. I, I maybe I'm being a bit nitpicky. I liked the movie actually quite a bit, though. I thought it was visually quite good. I mean, really, Scott. You know, his movies are always good looking. I, I think he's very competent. I mean, I think the cinematography is quite good. Although this does mark the kind of period where all of his movies are kind of they have that kind of blue sheen even like last the last duel who the same guy shot that one it's very washed out and very blue and there was a lot of that in this movie it's not a lot of color but uh i, I thought that the effects overall were quite good i mean i watched it on disney plus it's in 4k it looks looks incredible um the story was uh, you know i kind of went into it kind of with some expectations i thought it was going to be a very dense and philosophical story and it is there's there's that there's the elements of literature and, and all the influences that come into play but it's actually kind of just like a dumb sci-fi movie that's at its heart it's not really that complicated um and i kind of like that actually it made for a very watchable movie i think after the the part where she gets the alien extracted out of her body i think there's i checked the clock and there was like i think like 40 minutes 35 minutes left of the movie like I, it actually clicked along pretty quickly which i actually like too there was a it, it didn't feel i didn't really feel all that bogged down by it like um I thought it was told the storytelling and the way the movie kind of enveloped was it was really good. Um, and I, I did have some gripes again with the character motivations, like when they land and how they react and, you know, the characters who were like, you know, this is nuts. I fuck this. I'm out of here. And like that sort of stuff kind of took me out of it a bit. I'm like, why would you, why would you hire this crew that doesn't even seem to be all that committed to what's going on? It seemed very odd, but, uh, True. and even the stuff with like Peter Whalen's motivations, I don't know if they totally landed that all that much. Like, it, you know, the introduces at the beginning and then it kind of, it, it wasn't all that believable to me. Like I, if that was your goal to talk to these aliens why would you go with this crew in this way it felt hubris very odd, hubris man <laughs> i guess yeah you could write it off as hubris and even the stuff with david i actually thought david was gonna have more of a bigger focus and i don't know the, the film kind of he, he, he did have a role and you're kind of curious about his motivations and his sort of villainous slant but then they kind of i, I don't know they didn't I, I didn't think they kind of ended it well all that well with him but uh yeah three and a half i still liked it i thought it was pretty good um i, I don't i'll be interested to think about you know re-watching it Again, and also maybe revisiting it after I watch Alien Covenant, how that might shape my opinion of it, because it sounds like they're they're related, uh, obviously. Um, but yeah, I thought it was thought it was pretty good. Um, yeah, d decent decent entry. I think uh, when it comes to Ridley Scott, then oh oh sorry, overall uh, four out of five. So again, pretty uh, pretty good scores there. Um, I, I think uh, looking at the um, Ridley Scott slate. I think our next entry by counselor is the yeah the counselor which it is if I believe correctly is based off a Cormac McCarthy novel. Yeah, it's is a screen. Right? It's a sc it's a screenplay that he wrote. Oh, it's yeah. a screenplay by yeah. him. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, so written by Cormac McCarthy. I got I have never seen this movie, but people not, love yeah, this fucking it's, movie. It's not really good. <laughs> oh really? No, no, no this, ranks, like it. <laughs> this ranks like top ten of his film. People really? love this movie. Oh okay. On Letterbox on Twitter, people are like, "There's a lot of people who fucking hate Ridley Scott. They're like, I hate him, but I love the counselors. Really? So, okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, people love this movie. I so I've never because seen for me it. for me this this movie it. didn't really click. I mean, maybe I'll watch it again, but it has all the right actors, all the right setup, but it just didn't click for me. But maybe there's something there I missed. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, I always confused it with matchstick men like when i was making the notes and everything it just i thought it was the same thing but <laughs> no a different uh, one no it's yeah yeah so that'll be coming up and then you know we'll be moving into like Exodus the, Mar the martian, martian yeah. And, yeah yeah we're gonna have a guest speaker from uh, the european space agency when i'm a, fr a friend of mine for that episode so i'll be probably after easter i think we've got my uh my next pick uh the iron claw next sunday so that'll be fun we're gonna have some wrestler friends on for that and then i think it's your canon pick right isn't it john after that 
Oh yeah. Did I, did I already make a pick? I don't even remember. I don't know. Did I, did I... <laughs> we got time for I, I that. Got... We got time for that. <laughs> if I did yeah. well, no, we got your cannon pick. We got the Grizzlies. It'll be coming. Oh yeah. Up. I got, I've got two weeks. Um, <laughs> do you, do you have uh we're going to be starting our actor movies by actors series with night of the hunters. So that'll be coming up. Mm. Um, probably could do a cannon pick. I was thinking I would do maybe Rocky or yeah, maybe Rocky would be good. I've been putting that off for a while. You know, it's been years now since we started to watch, probably get around to it. So that might be the pick. Um, and uh, special thanks to Burak for joining us, Dr. Tater. And Thank you uh, so we'll much be for having back me. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Always great to have academics and doctors in the pod. You know, Curtis is our lone resident scholar. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm bringing the id. I'm bringing the just the good vibes, the pedestrian <laughs> takes. Always good to have our uh, educated scholars on who can bring their uh, their views. Though, but it was great having you on. Thank, thanks, thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. All right. Great for stuff. Everything. All right, folks. And again, okay. uh, for those of you listening, uh, you know, follow us, Apple Podcasts, etc. Spot a lot of you listen on Spotify. Um, you know, and, and check out his other check out his other podcast too. Oh, domestic pints only. Yeah, we, <laughs> uh, me and my buddy Tom, we uh, we review beer, we drink and rate beer. Uh, we just did an episode uh, on some craft loggers. It was fun. Uh, we did it yesterday. I did it after I came back from my big trip, the big meal. So I was a little bit bloated, but we we powered through it. They were pretty good beers, so that made for a nice episode. Um, and again, I'll say uh, if you if you see us on Apple Podcasts, give us reviews. If you're interested in coming on, or if you have a recommendation. Uh, reach out to us some of you might know us personally so just like dm us <laughs> or or you know email us go through the official channels whatever um and yeah i think uh, otherwise we'll we'll see everybody again next week thanks a bunch everybody yeah take care everyone see you soon take care bye